I hope you all have been having a very wonderful Hanukkah. This is Rabbi Shammai Engelmayer, and welcome to episode 37 of Keep the Faith, my weekly podcast in which we explore contemporary issues through the prism of Jewish law and tradition. Something the poet John Milton wrote in his 1634 poem, A Mass Presented at Ludlow Castle, quickly developed into a popular proverb, Every cloud has a silver lining. In other words, no matter how bad things get, there has to be something good or positive to come out of it. If the cloud we call COVID-19 has any silver lining, though, it's been doing a pretty good job of hiding that silver lining from us. What good could possibly come from a pandemic in which we've seen nearly 310,000 people dying so far in the United States and nearly 1.7 million worldwide, with many more deaths looming on the horizon? Where's the silver lining in the fact that as many as 54 million Americans, including 18 million children, are living today in what are euphemistically called food insecure homes, compared to 37 million people, including 11 million children, who lived in such homes before the pandemic struck, which was horrendous enough? Where's the silver lining in the fact that millions of Americans are on the verge of being evicted from their homes because the economic upheaval caused by COVID-19 has cost them their jobs and probably chewed up any savings they may have had? Religious fanatics, of course, have no problem seeing a silver lining. To them, the pandemic is God's work, and God would never do bad things. We'll get to that. I cringe at the thought of saying this. But there really is a silver lining of sorts in this heavy cloud hanging over our world. And it's in the form of lessons we need to learn about our environment, for one thing, and about ourselves and our responsibilities to others, among other lessons. And so the topic for this week is COVID-19's messages to humankind. As I said, religious fanatics have their own way of looking at things. Here are some samples. First up, a blogger had this to say, quote, The biblical story of Job teaches us that God is sovereign over all. No suffering or evil event happens that he has not permitted. He has his purposes for his glory. God wants us to trust him and trust that he is good, even when we don't understand why he allows the things he does, unquote. Imagine, COVID-19 was thrust on us for God's glory and with his personal approval. Here's one from a letter writer to a local newspaper in the Midwest. Quote, the United States was founded by Christians. They wrote a constitution that was based on Christian principles. Over the last century, Christianity has systematically been expunged from this nation. The present COVID-19 pandemic, I believe, says the letter writer, is God's punishment for this nation's abandonment of Christianity. Everyone in media and in politics violates the Ten Commandments regularly. I call on everyone to repent of their sins and beg for God's forgiveness. Perhaps God will remove this plague from the U.S., unquote. The Islamic State, what we used to call ISIS, offered up this explanation, quote, God, by his will, sent a punishment to tyrants of this time and their followers, which can't be seen by the naked eye, meaning COVID-19. Today, we are pleased for this punishment of God for you, unquote. Considering that the Islamic world is no more immune to COVID-19 than the rest of the world. 
that the so-called Islamic State is pleased for this punishment, in its words, is as bizarre as this terrorist organization itself is. Our side of the ledger isn't any freer from such shameful nonsense. For example, one of the leaders of the non-Hasidic part of Israel's ritually rigid communities, which has had among the highest rates of COVID cases and COVID deaths in Israel and elsewhere, actually told his followers that God was punishing them for their sins more than God was punishing other Jews because God judges the ritually rigid more harshly than he does the rest of us. Another Israeli rabbi said COVID-19 came along to prevent the, quote, public desecrations of Shabbat, unquote. Yet another rabbi called COVID-19 a, quote, wake-up experience, unquote, for diaspora Jews who didn't want to move to Israel. He forgot to mention why the nearly 7 million Jews who live in Israel were also being targeted by God. Then there's this comment seen on posters in various parts of Israel. But first, an explanation is required. Hebrew has no numbers. Letters, therefore, play a double role. An aleph is the first letter of the alphabet, or should I say the alphabet, and its numerical value is 1. Each of the first 10 letters increase by a value of 1, so that the yud, the 10th letter, has the value of 10. Then come the next 8 letters, which each increase by 10, so that the letter tzadi has the value of 90. Finally, the last four letters go up from 100 to 400. So, for example, the Hebrew word for computer is machshev, which is spelled with the letters mem, chet, shin, bet. Mem is 40, chet is 8, shin is 300, and bet is 2. So, its gematria, its numeric value, is 350. I hope I explained that simply enough. In many, if not most, ritually rigid communities, and for Madonna, Demi Moore, Britney Spears, and everyone else who subscribes to Kabbalah, everything in this world can be explained by determining the numerical value of a word or phrase. There's a word for this, bibliomancy. Our word for it is gematria. Back to that poster. Here's what it says, and I'm paraphrasing. The pandemic came down on our heads because women these days dress immodestly. We know this, the poster says, because the numerical value, the gematria of corona epidemic, the gifat corona in Hebrew, and lack of modesty, choser tzniut in Hebrew, both have a numerical value of 900. That's supposed to mean that the one is the cause for the other. There are, sad to say, so many more examples from all religions to choose from. To claim that God sent COVID-19 to us as punishment, however, is nothing short of the sin known as Chilul Hashem, the sin of desecrating God's holy name. There's a variation on this theme that has God inflicting us in this way to teach us a lesson of some kind. God causing millions of deaths and suffering for untold millions more is as much a chilwashem as the punishment theme. But it's also something most Americans believe is true. There was a survey conducted in the spring by the University of Chicago Divinity School and the Associated Press National Opinion Research Center at the University of Chicago. It has a confidence level of 95%. One of the things it found was that 63% of Americans believe that God is telling humanity to change how we live our lives. 
There really are a number of important messages to be learned from this pandemic, environmental ones and ethical and moral ones. God isn't responsible for sending them, no matter how many people think otherwise. But God does have much to say about the content of these messages. Let's begin with the environmental messages. China was the first country to lock down, starting in late December. According to one news report, quote, Pollution monitoring satellites operated by NASA and the European Space Agency observed drastic decreases in air pollution over China over two weeks in February when the quarantine was in effect. The satellites measured concentrations of nitrogen dioxide, which is released by cars, power plants, and industrial facilities, from January 1st to January 20th, and again from February 10th to February 25th. The difference was unmistakable, unquote. In London, during the first nine weeks of Britain's lockdown, nitrogen dioxide levels along its roads dropped by an average of 31% compared to pre-COVID days. COVID lockdowns have done the same the world over. In much of northern India, for example, the Himalayas were always visible in the distance, but never clearly and often just barely. The snow caps, when they could be seen, looked grayish. Today, as news reports have shown, not only can the Himalayas be seen clearly, the snow caps are so white that the sunlight bouncing off of them is almost blinding in some places. In New York City, air quality has dramatically improved during the pandemic. And so has the quality of the water in the Hudson River, which is the cleanest it's been in many years. That's because so many offices and businesses have been closed, meaning that they haven't been delivering any sewage to the Hudson in the last 10 months. Of course, there's a black lining in that silver lining, as we can see in Los Angeles. Although seeing may not be the right word, considering that smog is the issue there. In the early days of the lockdown in mid-March, the smog situation showed considerable improvement. Greater Los Angeles saw its longest stretch of clean air in decades. In fact, according to a Swiss air quality technology company, IQ Air, a company that monitors pollution levels in cities all around the globe, Los Angeles on April 7th registered some of the cleanest air of any major city in the world. But that soon changed. A big reason for the reversal was heat, and specifically the unusually high temperatures there in the spring and fall. The chemicals that are emitted by cars, trucks, factories, and so many other sources react with sunlight and heat to form ozone. The story is much the same in some other parts of the United States that experienced uncommon heat waves this year. A national public radio analysis of data from the Environmental Protection Agency showed that in most places, ozone pollution dropped by a mere 15% or less, nowhere near what the earliest data had predicted. Among the lessons learned from that, according to the NPR analysis, is that cities such as Los Angeles, quote, will likely have to change the way they generate power manufacture goods and move those goods around if they hope to have healthy air, unquote. The evidence is as clear as the air in northern India. Global warming not only is real, but the causes are unmistakable, and just as unmistakable is what role we humans play in that. Our role is a major one. As I've discussed in earlier podcasts, the Torah and the body of Jewish law that flows from it have much to say about how we treat the environment. 
Environmental protection may be a modern term, but it's a serious component of Torah legislation. From a law in Deuteronomy 20 about not taking an axe to food-bearing trees in wartime, a law, by the way, that causes many people to roll their eyes and wonder what it has to do with life in the real world. From that law, our sages derived an impressive body of law known as Baltashchit, do not destroy, often referred to as wanton destruction. A 14th century rabbi, Aharon Halevi of Barcelona, described this commandment this way, quote, This law against wanton destruction is meant to instill in us the love for that which is good and beneficial and to hold fast to it. By this means, good will fill our souls and we will keep far from all that is evil or destructive. This is the way of the pious and those of good deeds. They love peace, rejoice in that which is of benefit to people and brings them to Torah, Not even a grain of mustard do they destroy, and they are grieved by any destruction they may see. If it is possible to save anything that is being spoiled, they spare no effort to do so, As the Talmud taught us nearly 2,000 years ago, but we still haven't learned, the principle of Baal Tashchit, do not destroy, includes not burning fuels of any kind with abandon, neither non-replenishing fossil fuels, nor naturally replenishing vegetable ones. Speeding along a highway, for example, means burning more fuel than is necessary, and that violates that law in the Talmud. The Torah's laws, as interpreted by our sages of blessed memory, require us to protect against air pollution, odor pollution, water pollution, and even noise pollution, laws created 2,000 and 3,000 years ago long before the invention of the term environmental protection, and long before anyone heard of global warming. So seriously does Judaism take its environmental concerns that there's even a blessing to be recited, for example, when one sees the first trees bud and the first flowers bloom in the spring. Quote, Blessed are you, O Lord our God, who omitted nothing from his world, but who created within it good creatures and beautiful trees for people to enjoy. Unquote. There are other blessings with similar themes as well. COVID-19 is also sending messages about our responsibilities to ourselves and to others. This pandemic knows no social status. It's not class conscious. It cares not what religion a person follows or whether a person is an atheist or an agnostic. Race, gender, language, sexual preference, these are non-issues for it. In that sense, COVID-19 is the great leveler. The first lesson the Torah teaches us in this regard is the inherent equality of all humans, regardless of who they are or the job they do. The clerk behind the supermarket counter or the drugstore or the one restocking the shelves or the one collecting the shopping carts from the parking lot are all risking their lives every day so we can put food on our tables and medicine in our cabinet. The mailman is still delivering the mail. Until recently here in the East, at least, gardeners were outside maintaining our lawns and yards. Repairmen are still answering calls. Restaurants are still cooking food for delivery, and delivery people are bringing that food to our doors. Service station attendants are still pumping gas. Our emergency personnel, police, fire, ambulance, ER physicians, nurses, and other staff are at the highest risk, but they're still on the job. May they all be blessed for what they're doing for us.
Genesis chapter 5 verse 1 states, quote, This is the book of the generations of Adam, unquote, with the word Adam meaning human. As one sage, Ben-Azai by name, explains it, that verse is telling us that all humans are related to each other, meaning that all humans are responsible for each other. All people, no matter who they are, deserve the same respect and, yes, even love. We're all one family, and we all need to treat each other as such. And we all need to look out for each other and protect each other from harm. Ben-Azai's point is made in so many ways. Thus, says the Talmud, the first human, quote, was created alone so that the families of all humans will not quarrel with each other, unquote, regarding who had the more distinguished lineage. We all have the same lineage because we all have the same ancestor. How we're supposed to act to each other is taught in a number of important ways in the Torah, but perhaps most significant is this commandment in Deuteronomy, quote, After the Lord your God you shall walk, and him shall you fear, his commandments you shall keep, and you shall hearken to his voice, and him you shall serve, unquote. Here's how another sage, Rabbi Chama ben Rabbi Chanina, explained this verse. Just as God clothes the naked, he said, so must we too clothe the naked. Just as God visits the sick, so must we too visit the sick. Just as God consoles mourners, so must we too console them. It follows then that just as God is merciful, compassionate, and abounding in kindness, as Exodus 34 informs us, so must we be merciful, compassionate, and abounding in kindness. Just as God, in the words of Psalm 145, quote, supports all who stumble and makes all who are bent stand straight, unquote, so must we support all who stumble and make all who are bent stand straight. And just as we say in our daily prayers that God heals those who are ill, so must we do our part in healing those who are ill by, for example, fighting for more resources for our hospitals and more effective and inclusive health insurance plans for everyone who needs such insurance. Emulating God isn't an option. It's a requirement. That includes emulating God's concern for the health and well-being of all people. That's not just an immediate need. It's a permanent one, made even more vital because of the economic upheaval we've been experiencing Many more people in the months and years to come will lack the money needed for adequate health care because of this. A discussion in the Talmud makes it clear that our obligations to those who lack sufficient resources, including when it comes to health care, is to adequately fill that need. This emphasis on emulating God by providing medical care also has ramifications for how physicians should be treated, by the way said a scribe and sage named Ben Sira over 2,000 years ago, quote, honor a physician even before you have need of him, unquote. One way to honor our physicians and by extension other health professionals who are experts in epidemiology is to heed their advice when it comes to COVID-19. This is another lesson we're learning the hard way from the pandemic and one you've heard me discuss in previous podcasts about how the Torah views matters of health and our responsibilities to protect the lives of everyone we encounter. Despite all the evidence to the contrary, we keep hearing some politicians, Fox News anchors, and others railing against imposing or reimposing restrictions in areas with rising coronavirus cases, against wearing masks, against social distancing, 
the very things our medical experts say we need to do to turn the tide on this pandemic. The Talmud and Jewish law in general are very pointedly clear on this. The physicians and other qualified health experts rule, not the politicians, not the Fox News anchors. And when they give advice, we need to take it. As I said, God didn't send this plague on our world to teach us any of these lessons. God doesn't work that way. But these are lessons nonetheless, and we ignore them to our peril and to the peril of everyone around us and everyone everywhere. This is Rabbi Shammai Engelmeyer. I hope you come back for my next podcast. And I'd like to hear what you have to say about this or my other podcasts. Go to www.shamai.org. S H A M M A I dot O R G www.shamai.org and email me, please. There are only a few hours left to Hanukkah, so enjoy every minute of what's left. Shabbat Shalom. Stay healthy and stay safe.